Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Realm Presents Bullet Catcher, Season 3, Episode 4. Find Emma. Beside me, sitting atop the bar stool, a creature coos in its basket. It looks up at me with big, dark brown eyes, the shape of my brother's, the shape of my own. I ladle a small spoonful of warm grits into its mouth. It smacks its lips and rewards me with a toothless smile, clapping its chubby hands together. (laughs) What the hell did I do to deserve you? I ask, and it coos in reply, laughing at nothing. It's a happy little creature, a beautiful little thing. And I guess it's friendly enough looking that it causes most of the people around these parts to come up and play with it. They tickle its chin and it grabs their fingers with its own chubby little hands. The old ones love it best, and here at the bar, they'll each come over at some point or another as if to pay their respects to the little creature, and then they go back to their tables where they recount their experience with the thing, how it smiled at them and cooed and rolled over on its side or put its whole foot in its mouth. It's a long time since anything so beautiful has been seen around here. That's what they say. Great power in small things. Lobo taught me that. If a person goes around looking innocent or acting naive, if a person dares to laugh or smile or show weakness or fear or sadness, it's likely because they have the strength to do so. I believed him when he told me these things, because looking at him, an old man, skinny as a tent pole, and seeing what he was capable of, there was no choice but to believe it. Looking at this little creature, snoozing now in its basket beside me, the whole town under its sway, I believe it again. I see Lobo's wisdom in this creature, as if all the goodness he showed me has somehow settled behind its big eyes. But then again, isn't everyone born good? It's growing that twists a person up. How do I keep that from happening to you? I ask the creature, but its eyes are closed 
drool and snot glimmering around its mouth and nose. No, I don't know either. Supposing we just keep on running then. What do you say? The bat wings swing open. I know who it is before she even says my name, just by the sound of her boots on the floorboards. Emma. That's another thing Lobo taught me. There ain't no one that can run forever. When I turn, Cass is standing in the doorway, and Nico, too. I'd figured when Cass came to get me, she'd come alone. It's strange seeing Nico like this, so different from the man I'd met those few years ago. They march across the bar like there are a couple of lawmen come to put me in irons. The look on Cass's face says she's got a speech all planned out, probably been working on it the whole ride out here, but when she sees the creature, she freezes in her boots. The ability to turn Cass speechless? That's power. I guess I'm not so different from everyone else in this dead-end town. I can't help but admire the little creature. Cass takes off her hat, squeezing the brim tightly in her hands. Is this how long? Four months? Nearly five? Is it his? But before I can answer, Nico goes over to the basket and wakes the creature. It always cries when it wakes. Even now, its eyes start to well. Its tiny hands and feet ball up, ready for the fit. But then it looks up at Nico and its eyes go big. Nico tickles its belly and the creature giggles. I've never seen anything so perfect, Nico says. He smiles at the creature and then at me. What's its name? Don't got one yet. Why not? Cass asks like an accusation. Can't rush these things. What use does it have for one anyway? Cass stares at the creature, but doesn't approach it. We've come to bring you back, she says. I figured, but I can't. The muscles around Cass's mouth tighten. And why not? Her eyes flick to the creature and then back to me. You have a kid and suddenly the fight goes out of you? That's right. I had a kid. I kept fighting. I remember. You showed me his grave. Cass's eyes turned to fire. I never seen her look at me like that. Like I was the enemy. Like she'd as soon kill me as speak to me again. So what'll you do instead? Nico intervenes. Anything else? Cass can't look at me. We both know if she does, she's likely to slug me for what I said. And maybe I have it coming, but I know she understands. Deep down, under the anger. Nico picks up the basket and sets it on the bar and sits down beside me. So what? You're going to wait tables or run an inn? After everything you've done? Everything you've seen? Whatever it takes. He shakes his head. We both know it ain't as easy as that. Nothing ever is. It took us five days to find you, Cass says. How long do you reckon it'll take the gunslingers once they start looking again? If I stay out of their way, they'll stay out of mine. And if they do come, I'll be ready. And then I'll move on to someplace else. Cass fixes her hat on her head and turns as though to leave. The child isn't the only one who needs you, Emma. You were like a daughter to Lobo. To me. Watertown needs you and so does your family. And then she marches out of the bar without looking at me.
Nico watches her go. Then he flags down the bartender and orders a drink. So, what now? I ask him. He shrugs. We'll head out in the morning. It was a long ride out here and Cass ain't no spring chicken. She'll be fine. Everyone's fine till they ain't, he says. What's that supposed to mean? Nico tickles the creature. She's slipping, Emma. She'd never admit it, but she knows it. Only reason I'm here is to make sure she didn't get herself killed tracking you down. She's old, Emma. Older every day. That don't matter? He shrugs. Like I said, it don't until it does. But if I hadn't followed her, she'd have been killed just outside Watertown. Just a small band of gunslingers. That true? He turns and looks me in the eye, and I know the answer before he speaks. It's the truth. He drops a couple coins on the bar. He looks down at the creature and smiles. I won't begrudge you none if you do what you say you're going to do. Just keep on moving south. I might do the same thing if I had this little one to look after. But Cass wasn't lying when she said we needed you. And I'm not lying when I tell you that without you, Watertown will die. Without you, all the sons and daughters of Watertown will die. I'll die. Cass will die. Rainer. And Knack. Knack. How is he? Not the same since you left. None of us are. You don't have to go back. Once upon a time, you came back for me. I figure the best I can do is go back for them. He stands. You sound like him, you know? Like who? Lobo. It makes me smile to know there's anything about me that reminds Nico of Lobo. I suppose that's what happens when you got no one to talk to for this long. And then when you do, it's a little creature that doesn't know its ass from its elbow. We'll be at the inn. Come see us before we leave in the morning. I watch him go, before turning back to the creature and placing it back in its spot on the stool beside me. Every time I watch Nico leave, it seems like the last time I'll see him. The creature looks up at me, its big, unblinking eyes full of questions it doesn't yet have words for. You don't know yet what it's like to lose a person. And you won't for a good long while. Not as long as I have something to say about it. It's near dusk when I leave the saloon. It's busiest this time of day when the sun is dipped and the heat is mellowed. In the street, a man and a woman look on as a carpenter and her assistant change the wheel on their wagon, overloaded with likely every one of their possessions they could make fit and tie down. A young girl sits on the boardwalk, playing with a straw doll. The wind blows fits of dust down the street and the people shield their eyes and pull their bandanas over their mouths. The girl doesn't seem to notice. There's dirt on her face and on her clothes and caking her hands. She goes on playing with her doll. That your family? She looks up at me and shields her eyes with the doll. Yes, miss. Where are you off to? Pa says we're moving to a place called Watertown. It's to the north somewheres. I've heard of it. She suddenly seems more interested in me. She stands and wipes the dust from her skirt. Is it true what they say? That there's water enough there for everyone and that people grow rows of vegetables as big as your head and that when the trees drop their fruit, there's so much that they just rot on the ground? 
Yeah, kid, it's true. She smiles a big smile full of teeth going every which way, but it suits her fine. That just about sounds like heaven, miss. There's a commotion at the other end of the street, and suddenly everyone is running to find cover. The girl's mother swings a kid over her shoulder and rushes into the carpenter's shop, followed close behind by her husband and the two carpenters. Down the street, ten riders on horseback kick up a whirlwind of sand and dust. The rider at the front, dressed in black, holds his gun over his head, firing into the air. It's been a long time since I've encountered a gunslinger, a real one, with the tattoos and scars and war stories. But even from a distance, I can tell this one's the real deal. Chill runs down my back. My fingers tingle, sensing the nearness of gunfire. Outside the inn, the riders dismount and charge through the doors, guns drawn. They don't know what they're in for. Casanica will be inside, waiting in ambush. I edge closer to the scene, skirting quickly across the boardwalk, noting all the places I can use for cover. The barrels full of sand, the water troughs, the boxes poking out from the alley and all the while keeping my body between the gunslingers and the creature in its basket. I'm less than a block away when gunfire erupts from inside the inn. I duck into the general store across the street and watch from just inside the door. A window on the second floor shatters. A few patrons rush out into the street, couples holding hands, trying to get away before they catch a stray bullet. The wind picks up and the air thickens with dust. Through the haze, I watch as first one... Then another person is pushed through the doors of the inn, out into the street. It's two of the gunslingers that Cass and Nico left alive, either to question or to send back with a message. At least, that's what I think until the rider in black emerges from the doorway, his gun gripped in his black-gloved hand. The wind howls and dies. And then there, in the street, their arms tied behind their backs, are Cass and Nico. The rider in black circles around behind them. Two of his cronies come out and lean against the front of the inn, reloading their shooters. The others must be dead. The scene is quiet. No wind. No sound at all until the rider in black speaks. Is she here? When neither answers, he squats in front of Cass, takes a fistful of her hair in his hand, and yanks her up to meet his eyeline. You hear me, Granny? The bullet catcher. Is she here? I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Cass spits in his face. He clubs her with the butt of his gun and pulls his bandana from over his mouth to wipe away the spit. When he collects himself, he stands before Cass and Nico for a moment, like he's considering what to do next. And he cocks the hammer of his gun and points it at Cass. Stop! The writer looks up and our eyes meet. Then his eyes flick down to the basket in my hand. The creature looks up at me, half asleep. It's you, isn't it? The writer says. You're the bullet catcher. The bullet catcher is dead. He died in damnation. No, it's you. But there's an easy way to tell. He shoots from the hip. My mind goes blank. It's been some time since anyone took a shot at me. That thing that was such a part of my life for so long, the feeling of it, the anticipation of it, it's gone. I reach down inside myself, and it's not there. Instinctively, I throw out my free hand to meet the bullet, twisting away from it with my body, swing the basket behind me to shield the creature. There's just the slightest lick of fire as the bullet crosses my palm, refracts a degree or two, and flies harmlessly past. My hand is smeared with blood. Flicking it off the tips of my fingers, I take a sidelong stance to meet the rider. Back to basics. Present the smallest possible target. Keep your weight balanced. Keep your hands and wrists loose. I tuck the basket behind me, protecting the creature with my body. I remember how this goes. I can do this. But the fear is impossible to quiet. My fingers tremble. I'm sorry, I say to the creature. Sorry I'm not better at this whole mother thing. The writer's gun points at the ground. He studies me, looking for his moment to shoot. The wind picks up again, echoing between the buildings, kicking the dust into the air. The writer raises his gun, quick as a whip, but before he can get off his shot, Nico rolls onto his side and kicks the writer in the back of the knee. The shot sails wide. The other gunslingers swing over the boardwalk rail into the street. But then the dust thickens and I can barely see the creature's basket in my hand. I rush through the dust, toward the fight. There, a glint of gunmetal. Then a body tumbling through the air before getting swallowed up again in the dust. A gunshot, and then another a moment later, as if the shooter was trying to find his target by the echo of his gun. Emma! Cass calls me through the dust. I follow her voice and find her off to one side, out of the street. With her hands still tied behind her back, she's managed to prop herself against the side of the boardwalk. Are you hurt? Her silver hair is tinged red and brown where the rider hit her. Her nose and mouth are smeared with blood. I'll be fine. My knife. It's in my boot. I find it and cut her arms free. And I'm about to head back into the scrum when Cass grabs me. The baby. Leave it with me. 
My hand is gripped so tightly on the handle of the basket that my knuckles hurt when I give it to Cass. The lack of weight in my hand is like a void. It'll be fine, Cass says. Go! I leave the creature with her and head into the dust. Somewhere, I hear the fighting, but I can't see my own hands in front of my face. I trip over something, and when I look down, it's one of the gunslingers, his face caked in dirt. There's a gunshot, and another man appears out of the dust and falls at my feet. Another dead gunslinger. Emma! Nico appears before me. There's a gun in his hands, still tied behind his back. There's blood on his shirt front, but I can't tell if it's his or someone else's. Do you see him? He shouts through the wind. The rider in black! I scan the dust, and there, before us, the glint of a gun. Get down! I tackle Nico to the ground just as the gun goes off. The bullet brushes past us and is swallowed by the dust. Pushing off Nico, I charge at the shooter. Another shot, obscured by the dust. No knowing where it goes. He faints left, but the glint of the gun gives him away. I leap at him, burying the point of Cass's blade into his chest. And as though he were the source of the storm, no sooner do we hit the ground than the wind goes quiet and the air clears. There's life in the rider's eyes still. He tries to lift the gun, but there's no strength in his arm, and he lets it fall. There will be more, he says. And then the light goes out of his eyes. I roll off him and lie on my back, coughing dirt, but only for a second because then I remember the creature. Struggling to my feet, I survey the scene. The gunslingers lie dead, strewn around the street, already half buried in the dust. Cass sits on the boardwalk, cradling the basket in her arms. Nico goes over and sits beside her, and Cass finally unties him. I wipe the blade of Cass's knife and give it back to her. The creature's face is covered in dust, and I spit into a handkerchief and quickly clean its face. It looks at me disapprovingly. You see? Cass says, putting the blade back in her boot. There's no escaping them. They were only here because they followed you. They'd have found their way here eventually. Cass turns and walks back into the inn without another word. I watch her go. She's changed since Lobo died. But then, so have I. A person like that leaves a crater in a world, in the lives of the people he left behind. She doesn't mean to be so curt. She just needs to go off somewhere alone and lick her wounds. She acts like she hates me. She misses you is all. We all do. I turn and smile at him. I miss you too. I've missed you most of my life. Behind us, the undertakers of Gravesend gather around the bodies, lift them up on their shoulders, and carry them off. What did he say to you, the gunslinger? I watch them carry off the body, then turn back to Nigo. Nothing. No one's last words amount to anything. The sun sets and the town sinks into twilight, purple and ochre. I'll see you in the morning, he says, and goes inside. And I don't know whether he means for me to send him off or join him. I won't know myself until morning. Come on, little creature. Let's get you cleaned up. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 3 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Marco Palmieri. And executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.